Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. And it's good to be with you. It's good to be in God's house today. Amen. You guys excited about church? Come on. We love church. Getting together, opening up God's word. And we're going to open it today to Judges chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. Um, if you are bringing a printed copy, I would highly recommend doing that. You can highlight it. You can write in it. The only thing you can't do is delete text, right? You can't do that, but you can write in it, take notes in it. But if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen behind me. However, we'd love to put God's word into your hands. And so our team on the way out, just ask them. And we have some Bibles that we would love to pass along to you. But Judges chapter six, while you're turning there, let me give you some context of what's happening. Uh, The Midianites have taken over control of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And they've done it by force, by the way. They have 135,000 strong men in their army that have raided, that have killed, plundered, done all the things you can think of, destroyed crops, destroyed any type of food source from the nation of Israel. And so they are in dire straits. In fact, if you wanted to get food, you know, you could not grow it on your own. You had to go to a Midianite grocery store and they were jacking up the rates. And just so you know, they couldn't do that. And so they, it caused them to cry out to God. But can I just say this? How many of you know sometimes the worst times in your life can become the best times in your life if it causes you to cry out to God? Are you with me? If it causes you to draw close to him, it can be a catalyst. That awful thing that you're going through, that can be a catalyst to God moving in your life in a significant way. The Bible says as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so that's what's happening. They're crying out to God, God, we need you. God, where are you? And God's about to raise up a judge. That's what the book of Judges is. It's all these these judges, these heroes that God is raising up. It's almost like he's assembling the Avengers. You know what I'm talking about? He has the the, the big guy that turns green when he gets mad and smashes stuff. That's Samson, by the way. He's just a beast. But then we're going to look at... uh, Uh, Captain America, but this is pre-gamma radiation Captain America. This is Captain America, 90 pounds soaking wet, and his name is Gideon. And so this is where we're going to pick it up. Judges chapter 6, this is about the story of Gideon. Verse 11 says this, that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Now, I knew she was old, but this is ridiculous, right? (laughs) And it belonged to Joash, the, I don't know how you say that, where his son Gideon, And here comes our hero was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So what's happening here? Why is he doing this in a wine press? What's happening is diary of a wimpy kid. That's what's going on. The act of threshing wheat is where you would, uh, first of all, you would crush the wheat, the heads of of the wheat, and then you would take a pitchfork, you'd, you'd toss some of it up into the air in a windy place so that the wind would separate the lighter chaff, you know, that kind of was, was started to be crushed and broken off of the grain from the grain. And the grain, the, the, the heavy part, the part that you wanted, that would fall to the ground. And so that's why you had to do it in a windy place, right? So the useless chaff would blow away, you'd be left with the grain. However, our guy Gideon, he's doing it indoors, in a wine press. Does anybody see any issues with this? There's, there's no wind. So what's going on? How's he separating the chaff from the grain? In fact, one commentary said they suggested he would actually break it with his hands and toss it up and seriously try to blow it apart. 
try to blow away the, the chaff, the lighter husk from the grain and let that fall to the ground. So he's a pathetic sight. He's indoors trying to make this happen. And why is he doing this? Well, the text told us he is afraid of the Midianites. He was scared that they would find out about his illicit wheat growing activity. Are you with me? Like they, they were, he was afraid they'd find out about his little grow room that he had in his basement with his fluorescent lights on. <laughs> Titusville, you know what I'm talking about, you people in Titusville. But somehow he had managed to grow some wheat on his own, enough for a little snack. And so he was trying to separate it in secret so that the Midianites would not find it and take his food source from him. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord shows up. Who, who is that, by the way? That's Jesus. Anytime you see an Old Testament appearance that said the, the angel of the Lord or the Lord of heaven's armies, that is called a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And every now and then I got to use words like that. So my mom knows that that Bible education, you know, didn't go for nothing. And so I got to th- toss that out there. Verse 12 says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said this, look at it. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so first of all, Gideon's like, wait a second. I'm, you know, diary of a wimpy kid. I'm sitting here hiding. You know, I'm not a mighty warrior. But secondly, when he said the Lord is with you, here's what Gideon said. If the Lord is with us, why has this happened? Like if the Lord's really with us, what's going on here? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him. He said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God was, uh, or Gideon was rejecting the goodness of God and the power of God based on what God had not done. And so he's crying out to him, where were you? Our ancestors told us that you would, you would come through, you would show up. When God is trying to tell Gideon, hey, bro, that's why I'm here. That's the exact reason I'm here, because you cried out to me, and I'm going to use you. This is the job that you now have. And I say that because I wonder if sometimes the prayers we pray, like, God, why haven't you done this? God, why didn't you show up? God, why is this happening? And the, the, the indignation in which we shake our fists towards God, God is not telling us in that moment, hey, the power to change things that you are upset about and concerned about, that lies within you. Could it be that you are the solution to that very thing that you're complaining about? Are you with me? Could it be that, that you need to stop complaining and start stepping up to your calling and what God has for you? That's what he's telling Gideon. He's like, hey, I'm here now because you are going to be an answer to that thing that you see wrong in the world. And some of you, you need to know that thing that you constantly go back and forth to, it could be you are the answer to that issue that you see in the world. Amen? Are you with me? So he says, Gideon, I'm talking to you so you can do something about it. But Lord, verse 15, Gideon asks, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. That's how you're going to do it. And I will go with you. And if that's the case, we will strike down all the Midianites together. And so what happens is, I'll paraphrase a little bit, Gideon obeys like immediately. And so he starts going throughout the countryside of the nation of Israel, tearing down these false idols that the nation of Israel had set up to these false gods, gods like like Baal. And they were the gods of the Midianites, they were gods of the, the Canaanites. But Israel wanted to be like the culture around them. 
when God had called them to be set apart from the culture around them, right? We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's what God has called us as followers of Jesus to do as well. We are to be in the world, but not to be of the world. And so Gideon knew something, and I love this about him. He knew that I can't just, you know, put together an army and go attack the Midianites if I don't address the root of the issue. Because the fruit was the Midianites oppressed them. The fruit was the Midianites destroyed all their crops. But the root cause was Israel's heart had drifted far from God and had set up these false idols to these false gods. Are you with me? And so Gideon's like, listen, the first thing I got to do is I got to get the clog out of the pipes so that the flow from God can happen. So we got to remove the, the root of the issue. And so he starts tearing down idol after idol after idol. And then he assembles this army because that's his job now. He's got an army to, to go against the Midianites. However, in the middle of being obedient, he panics and he goes back to God and he says, God, how do I know? How do I know you are with me? How do I know this is going to work. Now, quick time out. We did not read it, but after this initial meeting with, with Jesus and Gideon, um, Gideon says, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, but let me offer a sacrifice to you. And so he says, all right, you know, go ahead and do it. I'll wait here. Gideon goes and grabs wood and he goes and grabs meat and he brings them back and he starts to build this altar so they can have this, this meal together. And before he can light it on fire, Jesus has this staff in his hand and he does something with it, points at it, and flames come out of it and consume the entire sacrifice. But now Gideon's asking for a sign. Does that make sense? He's like, I need a sign. You know, where are you, God? I need to know this is of you. Keep in mind, he just saw a flamethrower come out of the staff and consume this entire thing. All, all that to say that there are those moments where we're in the middle of our obedience. We come to this, this point of crisis where we start questioning God. God, are you, are you really there? Are you, are you in it? You know, we start feeling insecure and unqualified about what he's called us to do. So he says, I need a, a sign. And this is referred to as putting your fleece before God. Maybe you've heard that before. This is where it comes from. Because the sign he wanted after seeing flames come out of a staff was he wanted some wool to be wet. That's what he was looking for. All right, if this wool is wet, then I know it's from you. And then he tries it again. If it's not wet, then I know it's from you. So he goes through all of that and finally puts this army together. And that brings us to chapter seven. It says this, early in the morning, Jerob Baal, who's that? That's Gideon. That's his uh, new nickname. Jerob Baal, which means Baal destroyer, because he went throughout the countryside, remember, tearing down these idols to this false god, Baal. So he's tearing them down. Now they're calling him Jerob Baal. He has two nicknames, by the way, Mighty Warrior and Baal Destroyer. That's a bad dude right there. And so early in the morning, he and all his men, what's all his men? 32,000. That's what he's assembled. He has amassed an army of 32,000 strong men. It's still 32,000 against 135,000, right? Four to, four to one. However, that's his army. And they camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, check it out, you have too many men. And Gideon's like, what are you talking about, God? Right? Like, we're, we're outnumbered four to one. Are you, are you kidding me? And so it says this, uh, God said to him, uh, you have too many men for me to, to deliver Midian into your hand in order that Israel may not boast that you did it in your own strength, maybe because this didn't come from you. Boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce to the, the army, 
anyone who trembles in fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. That's what he told him to do. So gather everybody up. And I envision it going down like this. Uh, if, if you have ever seen like Braveheart, where Mel Gibson, you know, assembles all the guys and he starts to rally the troops or Independence Day, you know, they have that big pep rally talk before they go out and fight the aliens. I imagine Gideon's got everybody together, 32,000 men. He's like, all right, guys, God says, if any of you are afraid, and I know you're not because you are fighting men of valor, you have hearts of lions, you are strong beasts, but since God asked me to ask you, I just wanna be obedient with it. what he asked me to do, I just gotta put it out there, I know you're not gonna leave, but if you are afraid, you can leave. Now, that speech worked a lot better for Mel Gibson than it did for Gideon because check it out, next verse, 22,000 of them peaced, right? 22,000 said, we're afraid. We're out of here, and it leaves him with 10,000 to fight, 135,000. But, keep going, the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. And Gideon's gotta be like, God, I wish you would stop talking to me right now, because every time you open your mouth, right? He says, still too many, take them down to the water, and I will thin them for you there. Gideon took them in down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate them, and those who lap the water with their tongues like dogs from those who kneel down to drink with their mouths. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. So they cupped the water, brought it up, and, and drank like a dog. And all the rest got down on their knees and drank. The Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. Verse 8 says this, after wetting himself. That's in the original Hebrew. That's what it says. Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. Now, I'm not, not going to read the whole story, but I would encourage you to go back and read it. The battle is amazing. Like they win this, this, this battle with all the odds stacked against them because they fought in a very unconventional kind of way, the way that God wanted them to fight. It's one of the greatest upsets of military history because ultimately, how many of you know the battle belonged to the Lord? It did not belong to him. It belonged to God. Now, I want to give us one more verse. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul speaking to young Timothy, he said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. I didn't come from God, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I want to talk to you today as we conclude this collection of talks on insecurity. I know that none of you have ever been there. Insecurity. Uh, Gideon, I think, is a great candidate for us to learn about insecurity. What is insecurity? It's a lack of self-confidence. Insecurity is a doubt in your worth. It's a doubt in your value. It's a doubt even in your place in this world. Insecurity constantly feels like that you are not enough, enough of what, Colby? Not, not tall enough, not skinny enough, not smart enough, not strong enough, not just, you're just not enough. That's what insecurity feels like. Insecurity causes you to feel like you are damaged goods that you will never be qualified, you will never be, uh, you know, you don't have what it takes in this world. Insecurity feels like your past is always gonna define you or your mistakes that you've made in the past, they're gonna go with you forever. That's ultimately what insecurity feels like. And I've struggled with insecurity for the majority of my life, even to, to this day. I struggle with insecurity on some level. Colby, when did it all start for you? Thank you for asking. It started in that transition between uh, elementary school and middle school. That was the time. Because in elementary school, can I tell you, I was killing it in elementary school. 
I was a bad man in my jamma in elementary school. Seriously, I felt like I was, I was hitting it on all cylinders in elementary school. In fact, my parent-teacher conferences, they would say, you know, Colby is, you know, has a lot of friends, makes a lot of, you know, has peers, you know. He seems like a happy child. He also is a class clown a little bit. That's what my mom learned in those conferences as well. And I talk too much, which, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but in third and fourth grade, like, I was the man. I, I was often the first picked for a kickball. Holler at your boy. I, I could jump further off of the swing and land on my feet than Jenny Pendergrass. You don't know who that is, but it doesn't matter. And I could do it and I could beat her every single time, right? Like I felt, in fact, in, in third and fourth grade, I, had, I was in two serious relationships with two girls at the same time. They were twins. This is no joke, Tisha and Tria. What's up, girls? I'm just saying. Back in the day, third and fourth grade, right? These were big, you know, moments. But in third and fourth grade, I felt like I was killing it. After all, the measure of success, you know, in elementary school was how fast could you chug a carton of chocolate milk? And I could do it faster than anybody. But then came middle school. And it was a big change. We moved around a lot growing up. Uh, I had new friends, new school, knew all kinds of things. And I realized in middle school that my, my inseam measurement wasn't keeping pace with my waist measurement. Any Husky jeans wears? Come on, Husky, shout out to the Huskies. Yeah, and so all of my friends though, right, they were getting taller, faster than me. And they, and especially the girls, I mean the girls just, you know, they shot up there and the, the boys were getting taller too. I'm what you would call a late bloomer. I finished puberty like three days ago. And so I'm just kind of, it's just been my whole life, right? And so that, and then moving into high school, like I was the only freshman in high school gym class, and you girls cannot understand this, so whatever, because you shave yours off or you like to go au natural. But for boys in freshman like gym class, like if you don't have armpit hair, I'm just telling you right now, that's a bad day, right? That stuff is like black gold. And so we're like, <laughs> insecurity has plagued my whole life. And maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe your story's not exactly the same, but that's all, all to say we have all experienced to some degree on some level what we're talking about insecurity. Maybe even today. And whenever we deal with insecurity, you know what happens? We start um, making up these coping mechanisms. We start putting on masks. We start wearing a, a security blanket for some of us our insecurity in our insecurity, we result to lashing out. Like, you know how somebody, you know, cuts you down or whatever. You're like, if you're going to cut me down, I'm going to cut you down. We lash out out of insecurity. Or for some of us, we isolate because of our insecurity. Well, they didn't invite me to the party. And so I hate all parties. All parties are stupid. You know, so you go to your party. I don't even care. Meanwhile, you, you, you secretively stalk them online to see how awesome the party was that you weren't invited to. But insecurity causes you to, insecurity will cause you to compensate and overcompensate. It's like the, the little guy driving the big truck. Not that anybody would ever do that, right? It, it causes you maybe to, to find your, your value and, and validation in spending money, making lots, lots of money because maybe you didn't have that, that growing up. I'm just saying we all battle with insecurity and it shows up in, in different ways. It could be the, the one upper guy. You know who I'm talking about? You're having a conversation and they bust in like because they have something better that happened in their life or they have to, you know, the name dropper, they're constantly dropping different names. That's all insecurity. 
insecurity showing up in, in different ways, masquerading as different things. And it's because we're all looking for something. We're all looking for significance. We're all looking to feel important, to feel, to feel special. You know, one of the things that we need to, to have as, as followers of Jesus, as humans, is this, this dire need to be needed and known. And so insecurity shows up. Insecurity is the reason that, that you take 45 pictures to get to the one picture that you'll post, right? That's just the right angle, only showing two of your chins and not, you know, the rest of them. Let's just, let's be all honest today. It's insecurity. And if you've ever lived there or are there now, how many of you know it can be exhausting? And it can cause you not to enjoy the journey that you're on. And so that's why Gideon really is a, a prime um, candidate to help us in our insecurity. Because I think it's time for us to kick insecurity out. I think it's time for us to deal once and for all with this mind monster of, of insecurity. Because Gideon had it. In fact, as we meet Gideon, he's right in the middle of these hardships uh, of life. He doesn't believe he stacks up or measures up to everyone else. He doesn't feel like he can be used the way that God wants to, to use him. doesn't feel like he has any significance. Of course, Gideon is, is just one person on a long list from God's word that battled insecurity. Uh, I thought about using Moses, right? Moses was the guy who God used to, to deliver his, his people out of slavery in Egypt. But what did Moses say? I can't do that. I'm a stutterer. There's no way you can use me. And God's like, I'm going to use you. Uh, I think of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I don't, I'm scared of everybody's face. Like, I don't want to get in front of people. And God said, well, I'm going to go with you and be with you. Insecurity. Or talk about insecurity. Think of, of Jacob's two wives, Rachel and Leah. In fact, they had two wives at the same time. Back in the Old Testament, like that happened. Polygamy was a thing. And I know some people push back and are like, oh, I, I can't believe there's polygamy in God's word. Hold up, we do it too. We just spread out wives over multiple years. So you'll have three wives in 30 years. They're just honest enough to do it at the same time. Yeah, I'm gonna get off of that right there because I'll get myself in trouble. But people will say, you know, Jacob, uh, he married Rachel who he loves, but Leah, uh, who he married as well, bore children for him. And in that day, children were a sign of God's blessing and favor in their lives. And so he had one wife that was like a, a status symbol for him and the other wife whom he really had affection for. How many of you think that was a happy home? With those ladies, you don't think there was constant rivalry at the dinner table? You don't think they're always kind of fighting for attention from, from their husband, Jacob, like trying to get their validation from him when they should have been getting it from, from God in the first place? Like it's insecurity. But I chose Gideon, and so that's who we're going to look at. What do we learn from Gideon's insecurity? Five things. I want you to write these down. Here's the first one, and that is when you know who you are, it doesn't matter who you're not. And this is so huge because your, your true um, identity is really the cure for our insecurity. When you know who you are, who God says you are, you, it won't matter who you, you aren't. The enemy of insecurity, the monster of your mind wants to constantly keep you in this place of you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, you'll never measure up, but when you are armed with every day, this is who I am, then it does not matter who you aren't. And can I just tell you who you are today? Number one, you are loved by God. You need to know that. It's not by accident that you are here. It's not by accident that you walked through these doors. For some of you, this might've been your last ditch effort with church and you just, you're like, I'm gonna give it one more shot. 
you're here for me to tell you you are loved by God. And that's not a small thing. Think about this, the creator of the heavens and the earth loves you. It's unbelievable that he chose you, he's called you, he sent his son to give his life for you. I'm just telling you there is nothing like knowing you are loved by God, you're loved by God. In fact, if insecurity ever starts to creep into your mind, I want you to ask yourself three questions. The first one is this, who do I say I am? Who do I think I am? And be honest about it. Like, it's okay. Like, I, I'm alone. I feel unloved. I feel unworthy. I feel like a, a cheat. I feel like a liar. Whatever it is, write it down. Who do you say you are? And then number two, who does God say you are? Here's the third question you need to ask yourself. Who are you going to believe? You? or God? Why would you believe you instead of the one who created you? Like, who do you think has a better ability to speak into who you are, you or God? Because your feelings will lie to you. You understand that, right? And so here's some, some am, ammo for when you ask yourself that second question, who you are, here's who you are. In Christ, you are called, loved, chosen, forgiven, set free. Are you with me? You are a child of God. You have been anointed and appointed for such a time as this, that you are blessed coming in. You are blessed going out. You need to know that. You are equipped. Like there's no place you can go that you can hide from the, the love of God. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. You are loved by God. So when that mind monster of insecurity starts to creep into your heart and into your mind and you feel like you're not good enough, you can't measure up, or you're going to be like your, your father who was an alcoholic or your, 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 your grandfather who was an alcoholic, or you're going to get divorced like every other marriage that, that you know in your family, how about instead saying, well, here's who God says I am. I'm chosen. I'm called. I'm loved. I'm equipped. Are you with me? It does not matter who anyone else says you are, including yourself, when you know who God says you are. I'm just telling you, you ask yourself those three questions, it will change and it will help you in your insecurity. Here's number two. The second thing we learned from Gideon is that uh, our comparison feeds insecurity. If you were here for week one, I talked a little bit about how there is bait that we leave out for these mind monsters to come and attack us. And I think one of the greatest um, baits for that mind monster of insecurity is comparison. In fact, I think we could talk about comparison every single week in church and still not talk about it enough for the world that we live in. That's just my opinion and you'd get tired of me talking about it. But when God called Gideon a mighty warrior, can we just all agree that that's his true identity now? Now that God has, has said that about him because whatever comes out of God's mouth about you, that's what we can take to the bank. That's, that's the reality. So it doesn't matter what anyone else says. So he says, you're a mighty warrior. And what happens? Gideon objects immediately. Why? Look at it. In verse 15, Gideon says, how can I be a mighty warrior? How can I save Israel when my clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my family. He's like, I'm the least in my clan. I'm the least in my family. I am the least of the, the least. He immediately starts to compare himself. And he's comparing himself to all the other tribes that were there that were more like warrior tribes, Dan, Naphtali, Asher, Gad, all these other ones. So he's comparing himself to them. And then he's also comparing himself to his own family. Maybe you've done that before. He's like, man, you're, you're coming to the least of my family. I, my uncle, he's jacked. We all know he's juicing, but he's jacked. And then I got my cousin who's ripped. And then my brother-in-law, you know, who's a wizard of spreadsheets or whatever he is. He starts comparing himself, playing that comparison game to everyone else, all these other people that he thinks God should have gone to. 
So not only does comparison feed, constantly feed that insecurity in your life, but it will cause you to compromise your calling when you start to compare over and over and over. And we do this all the time. I told you last week, we have this, this discontentment device in our pocket 24 hours a day. If you ever need a shot of discontentment in your life, whip out your phone and start scrolling and see all that you're not, right? I don't have a life that looks like that. My vacation didn't look like that, vacation. Or, you know, that family looks like they're in love and they're happy together and it looks like they love their kids when I secretly want to punt my kids, you know, sometimes. Like, <laughs> like if you ever want to have some discontentment in your life, all you gotta do is pull that out and start scrolling. Of course, here's the good news in all this. Um, us pastors, we are above it all. Psych, nah, right? There's no way. I, in fact, I think sometimes we're the most insecure and we compare the most. Sometimes it's like, well, what is that church doing? How do they get that, you know, that, you know, that many people baptized? Or what does that, that look like? What, what's, what's going on? What are we not doing? I think we're as full of insecurity as anyone else. So what are we to do? Look at verse 14. It says, the Lord turned to him. I think he got right back in Gideon's face. As soon as Gideon started to go down the trail of, well, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. It says the Lord turned to him. And what did he say? Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God was saying to Gideon, I think what he would say to us is that you are to go in the strength you have obviously not in what you don't have. If I didn't give it to you, I didn't intend for you to have it. He's like, hey, Gideon, didn't I come to you and ask you to do this? If I wanted a, a different warrior from Gad, I would have gone to Gad. If I wanted someone else from Naphtali, I would have gone to Naphtali. But I went to Manasseh and I went to the least in that, that family because I have plans for you. I gave you specific gifts, Gideon. So what I want you to do is rock what I gave you, rock what you got. In fact, look at your neighbor right now and say, hey, neighbor, Come on, look him in the eye and say, hey, neighbor, you might not have a lot, but rock what you got. Tell him, say, rock what you got. Because you got something. God's given you something. God is not interested in your ability. He is after your availability. Are you with me? He doesn't care. What you and I think we bring to the table, he just wants our obedience. He just wants our yes. He just wants us to say, all right, God, well, I'm going to trust you with this. God picked Gideon on purpose to do what he's called him to do, just as he's picked you on purpose. So rock what you got. Here's a third thing that we learned from Gideon about insecurity. And I love this. This is, um, I'll just give it to you. Make sure that your security comes from a sustainable source. And here's what I mean by that. If you constantly need validation to give you this affirmation in life, you're gonna to have to continually draw that validation from a sustainable source, from something that will constantly supply that validation that you are, are seeking. And so here's my question, are you drawing your validation, your worth from a sustainable source? Like we have a, a water well where we live and fortunately it has never run dry, but I know so many people that have water wells that it's, it's run dry. And so what they have to do is have a storage container like in their garage or in their basement, you know, that's there that's ready in case their well runs dry because it's not a sustainable source that they are drawing from. And I wonder if sometimes we seek these quick fixes these quick boosts of self-esteem, these, these dopamine hits by, by, say for example, 
yes, if you go out and, and get a new outfit and, you know, because you're feeling down about yourself and then you walk in and somebody comments on it, it's like, hey, girl, looking good in them jeans or whatever, you know, they say, whatever your girls say, I don't know. But does that help for a moment? Yes. Sure. It makes you feel good about that for a moment. Or say you go out and get that new truck. And you roll up in it and everybody's like, hey man, you know, I like the truck, you know, it's an awesome truck, you know, even though you took up two spots because you're not a jerk at all with it, it's fine. <laughs> those, those quick hits of validation, they're not dangerous because they don't work. They're dangerous because they do work. But what I can promise you is it is short-term satisfaction. It is not a, a well that never runs dry. Eventually, th that runs empty. Your success is not the solution of your insecurity. In fact, some of the most miserable times in my life are the result of me getting what I thought I wanted in the moment. That's not it. But you need to make sure you are drawing your validation, your success from something that never runs dry. Any validation that feeds that my monster of, of insecurity only offers a temporary solution, is a temporary fix. So what I'm saying is how many outfits you gotta buy? How many, how many times you have to upgrade your truck or your cell phone or your husband or your wife or whatever it is? And I wonder if that's not the reason people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship because they're looking to feel validated in something that ultimately is not sustainable. They're putting weight on a person rather than on a God who is only the one who is able to, to give them what they ultimately need to feel valuable and worthy. Whatever gives you validation must keep delivering it over and over and over. So what are we to do? We're to keep, what, uh, we'll keep our value in places less vulnerable for attack, which is what Jesus told us, by the way. He said, hey, don't store up your treasure here on this earth. Where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Instead, you need to you know, store it up someplace else. In other words, we need to put our investment in a more secure holding area. So your value should not come from your job. It should not come from your bank account. It should not come from your car. It should not come from, you know, your, your, your stuff. In fact, I love, I love preaching. However, if my voice, you know, left me tomorrow, the thing is my value does not come from this. Like, I love, I love the church and what God's doing here and the success of it, but you do realize that my value does not come from the success of Elevate Church. This is God's church. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't, you know, prevail against it. This is not your church. So my value does not come from this. Your value has to be in something that is sustainable. My value is in the fact that I am a blood-bought son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you need to make sure your value comes from the fact that you are a son or or a daughter of the Most High God. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. Here's another one. And it's not wrong, by the way, to have stuff. I want you to know that. Like the blessings of God in your, your life, we should enjoy those, but we should never be defined by those. Like more than anything, you know, what I want people to say to me, this is just from my heart, is I don't want people to say, wow, you know, Elevate Church, you know, what a great this or that. I want people to say, Colby was a, a great follower of Jesus. And he was a great husband and a great father. That means more to me than anything. So what are you drawing your, your value from? Make sure it's a sustainable source. Number four, it's dusty in here. Uh, vulnerability leads to victory. You guys know it just happens. It happens. And I love this about, about Gideon, um, that he was vulnerable, 
but because of his vulnerability and his, uh, his availability, right? It led to this, this victory that God won. And so we read that crazy second part where, you know, in chapter seven, you know, God says, hey, you got too many people on your team, too many in your army. And he cuts it from, from 32,000 down to 10,000. He cuts that from 10,000 down to 300. And I was like, all right, now you are ready to go. And that part, I read that. And I'm like, really, God, come on. They were already outnumbered. Like, you're just being mean, you know, right now. Like it's, you know, what, what's going on? But I wonder if the problem was that what Gideon had amassed on his own now became his source of security. Because that can happen. Your success can become your source of security, can it not? And so he was like, you know what, I'm a mighty warrior now. And so what do mighty warriors do? They build armies. They build armies with, with men and they go march in, in formation. And so that's what a mighty warrior looks like. And so that's what I need to be. And so he amassed this, this great army, but that's not what God wanted. God wanted his vulnerability. God wanted to, to fight this battle with some last of the Mohicans type of stuff going on. It was very unconventional warfare, by the way. He, he told him to use clay pots and torches and then smash them to the ground and then yell for the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And that's going to completely cause the, the Midianites to turn on themselves and destroy one another. Of course it will, like why wouldn't it? But just like David, who had to, you know, tried to squeeze into the mold of what he thought a warrior looked like by trying on Saul's armor. You remember that story? If he would have gone and fought Goliath that way, he would have been destroyed. Because God said, if I wanted a Saul, I would have asked Saul. But I went to a shepherd because I wanted a shepherd. And so what he's saying is, I, Gideon, if I wanted somebody from Reuben, I would have gone to Reuben. If I wanted somebody from a different tribe, I would have gone to that tribe. But I went to Gideon because I wanted a Gideon. I went to Colby because I wanted a Colby. I went to Anthony because I wanted an Anthony. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. I went to you because I gave you gifts and I'm not interested in your strengths that you think you have. I'm interested in your weaknesses because it's in our weakness what his strength is made perfect. And so it's in our vulnerabilities, in our willingness to say, all right, God, this has to be you. It's not gonna be us. This is all on you. It's in that vulnerability, it leads to, to victory. It leads to victory. And here's the last one I wanna give you. When it comes to this mind monster of insecurity and really any, any of the monsters we've talked about, doubt, worry, fear, anxiety, condemnation, those things, here's the last one I want you to write down. If God didn't give it to you, you don't have to keep it. You don't have to keep that thing. Why are you holding on to something that you know is not God's best? That you know did not come from God? And my heart throughout this whole series has been to help us get to that place where we are able to release it. This is what 2 Timothy said again. Let's read it. It says, for God has not given. For God has not given. The spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of sound mind. This was uh, Paul talking to Timothy about him feeling afraid of the job that was in front of him to pastor this church in Ephesus. He's like, I don't have what it takes. I don't feel like I'm qualified to be able to do this. And Paul says, hey, that spirit that's on you right now, that spirit of fear, that didn't come from God. That's not from him. You know what the word spirit is? It's the word, uh, in the Greek, it's the word pneuma, and it literally, literally means this breath. That spirit, that, that breath, that wind, that did not come from God. So Paul literally is saying, God did not 
breathe that fear into your heart and into your mind. God didn't breathe that into you. They didn't come from him. So what, what did God breathe into us while we're on the topic? And when he formed, you know, Adam out of the dust of the earth, he collected some dust and he did what he breathed the breath of life into it. In fact, I believe at salvation, the moment you give your life and heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit breathes new life into you. It says if anyone's in Christ, the, the old is gone, the new has come. I, I believe every morning as you seek God, you say, God, your mercy are new, new for me to every day. I'm going to obey you today. I tr I'm going to try to follow you today. I believe he once again through his spirit breathes into your, your life and equips you for what he's called you to do. What I do know, God does not breathe insecurity. He does not breathe fear. He does not breathe cowardice. In fact, if you are in Christ, we can boldly approach, with confidence approach the throne room of God. He breathes confidence into us. He does not breathe worry. He does not breathe anxiety. He does not breathe doubt. What does he breathe? Hope, power, love, sound mind, confidence. These are the things from, from God. And so what Paul told Timothy and what God, you know, was telling Gideon, he's like, why are you hiding in a wine press and in your own breath, in your own strength, trying to, trying to work, trying to accomplish something when this, what I'm giving you is not going to be by your, by your might or by your spirit strength but it's going to be by my what say it out loud. my spirit my my breath says the Lord so what I'm telling you Gideon is I did not give you that spirit of cowardice but I gave you a spirit of confidence to walk in the calling that I have for you and I'm gonna use your vulnerability I'm gonna call you to be your your true self so you know your true identity not who you're not you're gonna stop comparing yourself to everyone around you and you are gonna walk in the fullness of what I've created for you and that's my goal for us church that we would walk in the fullness and we're all created differently but walk in the unique calling that God has given each and every one of us in this room would you stand to your feet I want to pray for you heavenly father I pray right now you would breathe breathe your spirit breathe hope God, let us, let us breathe out ourselves. Let us breathe out insecurity. Let us breathe out anxiety and doubt and fear and worry. And let us just breathe in confidence, security, hope, power, love, sound mind, the things that you give us. Let us stop doing this in our own strength and in our own power. In fact, while we're praying, ask yourself those, those three questions. The first one is this, who do I feel I am? Who do I think I am right now? And be honest, be real with God. Feel like a failure, a disappointment, feel hopeless, filled with doubt, fear. Who, who is it that you feel that you are? It's okay, by the way, God can handle it. Maybe you're questioning like, like Gideon, God, where were you? I heard that you did these things and I don't see you showing up in my life. What is it that you, you feel right now? And then ask yourself, well, who does God say you are? Because you are not an accident. God says you are a masterpiece. 
that he knits you in your mother's womb. In fact, he tells us in, in Acts that he appointed the time that we would live and the job that we would have, even the geography that we would be placed in. So there is a purpose for your life in this moment right now. In Christ, he says, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are set free. These are the things that God says about you. Now ask yourself this, but be real, who are you gonna believe? You, how's that been working out for you so far? Well, Colby, I, I don't know if I can believe God because I, it doesn't change the way I feel. Well, God's word trumps the way that you feel right now. God's word trumps your word all day, every day. And so it doesn't necessarily matter how you feel, but you need to know what God's word says about you. If you are in Christ, and maybe some of you in this room, you are not yet in Christ. You've not crossed that line of faith and surrendered your heart to follow him. I wanna give you a chance to do that right now. For God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you to be the sacrifice for our sins, the, the ways that we, we get it wrong. And the moment we confess Jesus as Lord with our lips, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. I, breathe, I believe the Holy Spirit breathes once again into your heart. You are born again in Christ Jesus. You are made new. Maybe that's why you're here right now. I want to lead you in a prayer that does that. You just pray something like this. You can whisper it. You can pray it out loud. You can do whatever. God knows your heart, knows your mind. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying in my place. And I ask that you would breathe your Holy Spirit into my heart and in my mind, make me new. Forgive me of my sin. I repent and I'm gonna follow you. And I know I can't do it on my own. I need the strength of the Holy Spirit to do it. And so God, I pray you would fill me and strengthen me and I pray that you would know you are my Lord and Savior by the way I live in Jesus mighty name God I pray for those who made a commitment and a decision to follow you I pray that something would stir so mightily inside their hearts that their faith would begin to rise up God that there would be no doubt of the confidence they have now in Christ as a son or a daughter of the most high God that they could boldly approach you even right now as we worship you God we could deal with all confidence and all assurance that we have the full inheritance and rights and privileges of a son or a daughter of God it's in Jesus mighty name somebody say amen 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 Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.